This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study. We will examine some questions that teachers may face and give some teaching tips along the way. This summer, we are studying Jeremiah and Lamentations. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Gia Thornburg and Wayne McCreary. Gia is an editor on our Explore the Bible team, and Wayne leads all of the adult ongoing Bible study work for LifeWay. So they are valuable people to have with us today. Thank y'all for coming. Thank you for letting us be here. Yeah, thank you. Today we're looking at session six, where we will be discussing Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. In this uh, chapter, we are looking at several things. Just a quick overview of the passages that we'll be looking at today. The first part, Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4, we have titled New Shepherds in our outline. Uh, And in those verses, Jeremiah prophesied a woe article over the leaders of Judah who had failed to shepherd God's people well. God promised to bring judgment on these unfaithful leaders for abusing those under their care. He would also gather a remnant of his people and provide them faithful shepherds who would bring security to his people. The second part of our outline is entitled The Righteous Branch, and that's verses 5 through 8. In that section, we learn that Jeremiah declared the future coming of a righteous king from the family of David who would wisely rule and ensure the security that other leaders had failed to provide. God promised that his scattered people would be regathered, eclipsing the exodus from Egypt in its magnitude and significance. Finally, verses 9 through 12 are impending disaster. Jeremiah expressed his brokenness over the people listening to false prophets who misused their power and led the nation to ruin. Through Jeremiah, God promised that judgment would fall on the false prophets and ungodly priests who had rejected his ways and hurt his people. So our summary statement for the whole the whole study today is God promises to give his people a trustworthy, righteous ruler. So that's just an overview of verses 1 through 12 that we'll be studying today. So let's take a look and, well, let's take some questions. What makes verses three and four so significant for believers? Gia, would you like to talk about that? So um, really, when we look at the beginning of chapter 23 in the first two verses, he's kind of outlining that the shepherds, the leaders over God's people had not done their job well. Mm-hmm. Um, they had It says that they scattered and banished the people. They had not attended to them. Um, And so when we go to verses three and four, the significance of those is that there's hope for God's people. God is going to come in and he's going to regather his people, the sheep, and lead them to a grazing land, their home. Um, And he's also going to give them leaders over them who are going to do the, the right leadership over them. They are going to take care of them and tend them well. And we see in the Bible, leaders are often referred to as shepherds and the people under them are sheep. And we see that ultimate fulfillment in the good shepherd, Jesus in John. And so we see that there is hope for the people. They're going to be brought home and it's pointing to that good shepherd in Jesus. Yeah, it's a hopeful message. 
Well, Amber, one of the exciting things to me in this passage is how much of it is based on God acting. God initiates it. You know, I will gather them. I will return them. I will raise up shepherds. I mean, it's God taking a real personal interest in action on behalf of his people. And as a believer, I find, I find great hope in that, knowing that God takes action on my behalf. That's exactly right. That's helpful. Uh, okay, let's talk about our next question. What should we know about the phrase, the days are coming? And we see that in verse 5. I'll take a, a shot at that. I don't mind. Uh, the days are coming. Uh, you, you mentioned in verse 5. It's also in verse 7. It's This isn't the only place it appears in Jeremiah. Uh, in uh, chapter 7, verse 32, uh, we find it there. He's uh, Jeremiah's talking about uh, some of the idol worship that's taken place in the temple and child sacrificing that's taken place. And then he makes the statement, the days are coming, pointing to judgment. Later on in his in this book, uh, chapter 31, uh, we're going to find it again. And in the, that context, he's, he's saying, there, I'm making a new covenant with Israel and Judah. Uh, that that uh, that day is coming when it's a fresh start. Um, you're going to see that again in 50 verse four. So uh, I, if if my uh, my counts were right, I counted 14 different times this phrase is used in Jeremiah. It may be more or less, but that's what I counted. Um, it, it reminds us of, of that of this idea that that, that there is this reckoning uh, there is a kind of a symbol of hope we may use the phrase today um when jesus comes back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well we're not talking about one well, we are talking about a, an event but there's multiple things involved in that yes we're, we're talking about judgment we're talking about redemption we're talking about the world um being recreated the groaning that's talked about in romans um it, it being brought back to what it was before the fall i mean all of those things are involved in it, but that one little phrase, well, when Jesus comes back, it, it means so much more than just a, a return. There's a lot of other actions going on in the background, and that's the same thing here. The days are coming. Uh, it's similar to, to how we would view and how we would term that phrase when Jesus comes back. Yeah. Uh, what are some ways this passage points to Jesus? Gia, what do you think? So we, we already mentioned um, earlier, you know, the, the shepherding, the, the good shepherd. But we also see here in verse five, Jeremiah says, you know, we, we mentioned the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. This righteous branch is speaking about the Messiah. This is the fulfillment of prophecy that King David's line would would keep the throne. And that word branch really means that he is the, the rightful heir to the throne. And I love what it says later too, when it says that his name will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Because when you, um, that, that just really shows that, you know, Jesus is our demonstration of righteousness, but it's also a direct comparison to the present king at the time, Zedekiah. And it's a, and his name means the Lord is our righteousness. And it's a direct comparison of Jesus is better. Jesus is righteousness. Whereas this present King, this worldly King is not Jesus is the way to salvation. And that, that right will 
that right way of living that these earthly leaders have not been able to to show their people. Gia, in preparing for our conversation today, one of the the uh, commentaries I read pointed me to First Corinthians, uh, and in First Corinthians, Paul declares Jesus to be our righteousness. And I think he's pointing to this passage. He also says mm-hmm. he's our sanctification and our redemption in that verse in first Corinthians. And so um, Paul picked up on this idea too. He saw Jesus as the fulfillment of, of the righteous branch and everything that's involved that the legitimate sprout is some people, some translations use it, translate it. Dwayne, here's another question. Why did God highlight the events of the Exodus here? How does that fit into what he's saying in these past in this passage? Well, you're talking about verses seven and eight. And these verses are actually also in a previous section of Jeremiah. They're in verses uh, or chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. It's not identical word for word, but it is real close. Mm-hmm. So this is the second time he's made this statement or he brings up the Exodus in, in, uh, in his prophecy. Um, he's talking about this return that's going to overshadow the Exodus, what Moses had accomplished. And that at some point there's this future fulfillment of this. Um, there's all kinds of ideas about when that's going to take place. Um, the Holman commentary, which is a uh, wood and Mac- McLaren, they point to this as being something other than the return from Babylon. Mm-hmm. And the reasons they give that is that this this return from Babylon was not near as large as the uh, leaving of Egypt. So they see it and they point to some interpreters viewing the events of 1948 where Israel came back into existence as fulfillment of this prophecy. There's others that point to the fulfillment of Christ or a Christian, Christian context, a return uh, they understand this is is uh, Jesus delivering us from sin through faith in Him, and that's this this what's being talked about, which is the really eschatological the return of Jesus. One of the things that I found very helpful in thinking through this in the commentary, the Explore the Bible Adult Commentary, the writer makes this statement at the end of the section on verses seven eight makes this comment. The glory of God did not descend upon the new temple when it was completed, which would have been recorded in Ezra. But instead, God's people were still under Persian domination and control, then points to the Greeks and the Romans. In some way, the regathering and restorations of God's people still lay in the future. The ending of the exile would only come when God would send his Messiah, Jesus Christ, the righteous branch, who would indeed bring God's salvation. When Christ came, then God's glory returned. And the commentary points to John chapter 1, verses 14. And then all of his sheep, even from the Gentiles, were gathered into one flock and fold. And then points to John 10, which Gia had mentioned earlier, uh, that context. So I found that very helpful for me to understand this idea about what he's talking about in this passage. It is... I know there's folks who believe this eschatological, but I would see this Christological. It's when Christ came and provided salvation um, through his death, burial, and resurrection because of of him saying, I I came and and here he is in the temple and the glory is finally there. You know, when you had the temple uh, dedication uh, by Solomon, 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it filled the temple. There was, it, you know, you knew God was there. Uh, and so in this context, when would you see that again? When would God's glory be there? Will it be there in the form of Jesus? And that to me is the restoration, but that's a greater picture image of what we're trying to think about. Mm-hmm. And that would be greater than the Exodus and it would be greater than the return from Babylon for sure. So uh, I see those as that is the significance of what he's pointing to here. You you also know the Exodus, the leader was Moses. So whatever happens for this next return has to be someone greater than Moses and overshadows Moses. Well, that's a short list. And the only one I could really point to, or one of the few you can point to is Jesus. And Jesus will overshadow everyone. So that would make sense mm-hmm. too, that that Christ coming yeah. would be the event that's being talked about because that for sure overshadows the Exodus and the leader of the Exodus, which would be Moses. Uh, Jeremiah responded to the false prophets in verses 9 through 12. Let's talk about that. How does that relate to the promise of the righteous branch? When I was looking at this, Amber, I was really um, just kind of, focusing on, you know, what were these false prophets doing? What is, what was wrong, first of all? Um, And you can really see that they were leading the people astray. You know, they were not prophesying God's word, but they were, you know, altering it, giving false peace and really confirmation in the evil ways. We also know that the, um, the priest had also turned away from the Lord and that there was evil being done in the temple where we worship the Lord. And so I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, you are what you consume almost. So you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. So what you are bringing into your body, whether it's through what you eat, what you watch, what you hear, it's what you are going to output, right? And so that's what the people under this bad leadership, they were being influenced in a way that they had turned away from the Lord. Um, And so we see in comparison to that, we see this righteous branch who's going to lead the people back to God. He's going to exemplify all the characteristics that these worldly leaders can't and aren't able to because they're imperfect and and sinful. And so it's only through this righteous branch that the people are going to be able to dwell securely. That's good. That's a really good explanation of how we can understand those verses. You also see the idea that Syria has already been, uh, Samaria has already been conquered by Syria. And so, but that hadn't happened in Jerusalem. And so the false prophets are saying, hey, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen here. We're okay. You ignore Jeremiah. And so there's kind of a way, uh, in a subtle way behind the background, it's, there's this kind of a charge is you can find a false prophet if we want to. And you could do it then you can do it now. We may think the internet speeds that up and it may, but you could still find a false prophet then who would tickle your ears as Paul told Timothy uh, in second Timothy four. And and you see that here. So this is a warning them. Y'all can, he's in a way, this is a public message. Y'all can listen to these false prophets, but understand they're in the same boat you are. And uh, you, you can't trust in them. You can only trust in God. And that's why throughout this this prophecy, you see the statement, this is the declaration of the Lord, or the Lord declares. Mm-hmm. It's not Jeremiah's words. It's what God told him to say. I don't know that he relished saying what he had to say. I don't think it was it was an enjoyable experience for him to be up there saying what he was saying. 
Thank you guys so much. Is there anything you would like to add or a comment you would like to make on Jeremiah 23? You know, I, I, we've already mentioned this, but this really is, I mean, up to this point, it's not been a, been a positive message in Jeremiah. Now there's a message of hope. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember whenever there's discipline, God has a purpose and there's an end in insight with that purpose and we don't always remember that when we're being disciplined by god for our own foolishness our own pride or arrogance whatever it is we're being disciplined for and here uh, jeremiah the the exile hadn't happened yet for the folks of jerusalem but he's reminding them it's going to happen but on the other side of that there's hope and you we have to keep trusting god no matter where we are in the process and that's part of the journey that he allows us to be a part of. Thank you, Dwayne. Uh, well, thank you for listening today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send an email to me at amber.vaden at lifeway.com. And I will do my best to answer your question or find someone who can answer it for you. Uh, next week, we will dive into session seven, where we will study Jeremiah 29 verses four through 14. And our guest host will be Bob Bunn.